1 Samuel chapter 30, this familiar story, we'll read verses 1 through 10, then 17 through 25. So 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 1 through 10, says this, 1 Samuel 30, And it came to pass, when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire, and had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, neither great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captive, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the wife of Nabal the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, Bring me hither the ephod. And Abiathar brought hither the ephod to David. And David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. Now verse 17. And David smote them. Of course, we know he finds them, right? And David smote them from the twilight even unto the evening of the next day. And there escaped not a man of them, save four hundred young men, which rode upon camels and fled. And David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away. And David rescued his two wives. And there was nothing lacking to them, neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoil, nor anything that they had taken to them. David recovered all. And David took all the flocks and the herds, which they drave before those other cattle, and said, This is David's spoil. And David came to the two hundred men, which were so faint that they could not follow David, whom they had made also to abide at the brook Besor. And they went forth to meet David and to meet the people that were with him. And when David came near to the people, he saluted them. And then answered all the wicked men and men of Belial of those that went with David and said, Because they went not with us, we will not give them aught of the spoil that we have recovered, save to every man his wife and his children, that they may lead them apart away and depart. Then said David, You shall not do so, my brethren, with that which the Lord hath given us, who hath preserved us, and delivered the company that came against us into our hand. For who will hearken to you in this matter? But as his part is that goeth to battle, so shall his part be that tarrieth by the stuff. They shall part alike. And it was so from that day forward that he made it a statute and ordinance for Israel unto this day. Let's pray. Father, again, Lord, we thank you for your goodness and mercy and grace upon our life. And uh, Lord, uh, where would we be today without you? Where would we be sitting? What would we be doing? But Lord, I'm glad that we know you. I'm glad that uh, for those of us that say we're saved and Lord have the privilege of serving you. Lord, I pray if by chance there's somebody here tonight or somebody listening that's not saved, Lord, that you would convict that heart and work in that heart, open that heart. And Lord, even tonight, that one would see the absolute necessity of putting their trust in the death, burial, resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, Lord, we pray for the needs among us, Lord, so many physical needs. And God, we just ask you to have mercy. Lord, we just ask you to come by uh, Sister Muxlow's way and Sister Judy's way and Sister Diane's way and others, Lord, that upon our heart, Lord, and please touch them. 
Lord, may they have a conscious awareness of your presence where they are right now. And Lord, just to be with them. Think of other needs, Lord. Lord, you care about somebody having a car. Lord, you care about what job people have and other needs that people have. And so, Lord, I pray, God, that you would move in these uh, situations. And Lord, help us with a uh, as a church, everything that's uh, going on there. And Lord, help us to trust you and help us to be faithful to pray, dear God, and seek your will and rest in your faithfulness. Now, again, Lord, help us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, of course, uh, a lot on Sunday nights, we've been looking at different characteristics of leadership and being a Christian. And so we want to look at some of that tonight in this portion of Scripture. One thought we're going to look at is servant. Hood, servanthood, but uh, let's uh, go through this chapter a little bit. Of course, when you look at David and uh, all that he went through from the time that God revealed that he was to be king to the time he actually became king, it's really uh, amazing, unbelievable uh, what what he had to uh, uh, what he had to go through. But certainly, it was the Lord that sustained him. And, of course, uh, we see that in many stories of David's life. And, of course, these verses give another great illustration of that as many of the things in David's life that we've looked at. And as I always say, what? There's God's will, God's way, at God's timing. And, of course, the timing that God usually chooses to fulfill His will usually does not have much to do with God preparing a work for us. He knows what He wants us to do. He knows what He has so it's usually not about him trying to get that work ready, but usually the timing, right, the, it has more to do with uh, uh, God preparing us for the work. God knows what it takes to prepare a man and prepare his people for the work that he has him and them uh, to do. So really a lot about uh, you know, uh, God didn't have to prepare the, 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 the position of a king, right? It was there. But God had to prepare David for what uh, he had for him and was going to do through him. Uh, again, uh, we know what happened. They came to Ziklag and the people were taken and the place was burned. So look at verse 6. And it says again, and David was greatly distressed. Question, have you ever been greatly distressed or maybe you're greatly distressed right now? Uh, about about something. And of course, all this happened, and here David was this leader and would take care of him. But it says this, For the people spake of stoning him, because of all the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But again, that great uh, phrase, David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And of course, it's moments like this when verses like, Hebrews 13, 5, which says, For he said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. It's moments of distress and moments uh, that we go through difficult times that God's word becomes more than just words on paper, right? They become more than just words on paper. They become real truths that are grafted into our life, right? These, these, these verses, these truths become real to us. And, uh, of course, that's why you see a difference uh, when a man preaches a message at 20 versus when he preaches it at 60. I'm going to move that to 70 because I'm almost 60. When he preaches it at 70, right? Because a lot of those, you know, uh, when, when he's young or when Christians are young, a lot of those verses are just, you know, words. Or, you know, they know the truths in their mind. 
But uh, as they go through life and go through times of distress and go through difficult times, those, all of a sudden those truths become engrafted in their life. And now they're part of who they are, if you will, as they've went through life and trusted God and watched God work. So in those situations, the Lord becomes more real to you, right, uh, than even the situation you find yourself in. You say, man, this, listen, this thing's real I'm facing. You need to talk to somebody and say, listen, this situation's real. Well, that's a, that's a good time to find out that the God you serve is real, that these promises are real, amen, that this book is real. And, of course, they spake of stoning him, but fortunately they did not. They could, you know, they probably, in, in their emotion, they thought about stoning him to death. Well, thank God they didn't stone him to death, but I think you could almost say he did die that day. But he died to self because that day and in that situation, once again, he found himself completely dependent upon God alone, which is a good place to be, just like the song we sang about. So verse six shows us that despite the heartache and reaction towards David, now here he is, he'd been taking care of these people, he'd been providing for them, all of a sudden they turn on him. And boy, that's a, you know, of course, this was a, a difficult situation that they all, all faced. And we need to remember that. Boy, the people that are praising us today, we don't know what they're going to be saying tomorrow. Right. Just like we even even with David, I, I mentioned this before, you know, in one area when they're making, matter of fact, when they're making David king and the 10 tribes, you know, outside of Judah, they come and they say to the tribe of Judah, hey, well, how come you didn't let us know what's going on? We have 10 parts in David. Man, you know, hey, you just, you just have one. We have 10 parts in David. Why didn't you let us know what was going on? You know, they're praising David, right? And then a few uh, chapters later, what are they doing? They're saying, what do we have to do with David, you know? And every, everybody leaves him, you see? In, in, but remember, in both situations, what were they doing? They were making an emotional decision. Positively, they were making an emotional decision in one way. And the other one, they were negative. They made an emotional decision. It wasn't a question really if you were for David or against David. It was what was God's will. It was God's will for him to be king. But David, notice David's reaction. Again, that's what you have to watch, David's reaction. Because as I, I say all the time, what's harder than acting like a Christian? Reacting like a Christian. Right, because we can think at our actions. A lot of times we don't get to think at our reactions; we just respond. So that's why it's so important, Amen, to have that walk with God, so that we'll not only act correctly but react correctly. And David sets a good example of reacting. Of course, we see his actions, but we see his reaction as well. So, despite the heartache and reaction towards David, he does not lash out with words towards the people. What does it say? He encouraged himself in the Lord. So despite how they were treating him, he didn't lash out with words towards the people. Instead, he lifted up words towards God. And boy, I know people can say some uh, hurtful things, but we got to remember, especially those that God would give leadership positions, right? That, you know, people say things, right? And it, and it hurts, but our job is not to lash out with words towards them. Our job is to get along with God and lift up words to him and let him handle the situation and trust him with the situation. And that's what a leader must learn to do, that despite how people treat us, we must find grace to take it to the Lord in prayer. 
But of course, I say as leaders, because the leader has to set the example there, but that's really how a Christian is supposed to respond as well. When people say things unkind things about you, or even if it's another brother or sister in the Lord, because since I've been saved, right, I've been hurt a lot more by believers than people in the outside world. But thank God the Bible says he encouraged himself in the Lord. That word means to strengthen, uh, to be courageous, to overpower. So it says this, in the Lord, he received what he needed to encounter this difficulty. He was strengthened and was able to, I like that, that word encourage means to overpower because it, it has this thought, he was strengthened, the Lord strengthened him. And through what the Lord gave him, the ability, right, he was able to overpower or subdue his emotions. No doubt when people said those things, right, they had an emotional reaction. No doubt he felt emotion, right? But he didn't act on that emotion, right? With the strength that God gave him, the grace that God gave him, he was able to overpower, if you will, or subdue those emotions and his a natural reaction to such a situation. And that's what we have to ask the, the Lord to help us do in a situation when things come against us, people come against us, right? I mean, listen, uh, I'm just as human as anybody else. I'm as apt just to uh, uh, react wrong about in a situation as anyone else or, or run on, on, on emotion. But that's why as we as believers, right, we got to ask uh, uh, the Lord, amen, to help us, to give us power to overpower that emotion we feel or that natural reaction we might feel and submit to him and help us to respond in the correct way and in the way that he would lead us and guide us as David here. The Lord certainly teaches in his word that that's what we're supposed to do in situations. That's why he says in Hebrews 4.16, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. And that's exactly what David did. What did he do? He went to the Lord. He took it to the Lord and the Lord, right, to find grace to help in the time of need. And the Lord gave him that grace that he needed, right, in that situation that he was facing with uh, what happened there at Ziklag and with the people right there in front of him. Ephesians 3.16 says this, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. And that's what happened when David went to the Lord and encouraged himself in the Lord. He was strengthened in the inner man through the spirit of God and the Lord helped him. Paul sort of faced that same situation. He says this to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4. He says in 2 Timothy 4, 16, At my first answer, no man stood with me. And that's what David was facing here. But all men forsook me. He said, I pray, God, that it may not be laid to their charge, notwithstanding the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. And so that's the same thing that happens. So we say, hey, he did it for David when David needed help. When everybody was ready to turn on him, the Lord stood with him and the Lord strengthened him. When Paul, that happened to Paul, uh, all forsook him, the Lord stood with him and the Lord strengthened him. And so we know that, hey, when we face such situations, we can go to the Lord, right? Instead of lashing out with words to people, amen, don't take your words outwardly, take your words upwardly and trust the Lord and he'll give you the strength and wisdom that you need in that situation. Trust God with the way he has led your life and let the Lord become real to you again personally. So go down to verses 7 and 8. 
Say this. But these verses to me are amazing. It says, and what did David do? He encouraged himself in the Lord and says, and David said to Abiathar, the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abiathar brought hither the ephod to David. And David inquired at the Lord. Now, think about this. To me, this is, this is, uh, to me, this is just incredible. Again, get the picture. They've lost everything materially. And on top of that, their families have been taken. And what does David do? David says, David inquires of the Lord. To me, I'm thinking, do you, re- do you really need to pray about this? I mean, you know, hey, listen, if I come home and my house is burnt down and my, and my family is gone, right? Uh, listen, uh, I'm thinking, okay, it's, it's, it's time to get a posse together, right? And uh, go get something done here. Right? Why do I need to pray about it? I'm responsible for my family. But again, David says, I mean, what could be more heartbreaking than having everything burned down and your family's gone? But yet, even in a situation like this, right, you know, yet David takes time to inquire of God. And he says, God, shall I pursue? And I'm thinking, really? I mean, if you think about this in the human sense, really, is that a question? Somebody has taken my family, they burnt my house down, and they've kidnapped my family, and I got to pray about whether I should pursue them? Well, what a, what a testimony is that. Shall I pursue? Well, I mean, we're talking family here. Yes, that is a question. God, despite this, I can't run off on emotion. I need your direction and mind in this matter. Boy, if this is such a situation that somebody should pray and seek God's, boy, what example does that set about all the situations that we should face that no matter what we're facing, as I say, God always has a will in every situation and we need to seek him and pursue that and find the mind of God, whatever we're we're facing. So remember this, time taken to seek God in any situation, even though it might be what we call a time-sensitive situation, right? I mean, you know, you, you, watch, you watch those news shows where somebody's been kidnapped or they have the Amber Lurches, right? Man, every minute matters. Every minute matters, right? But yet here, this is what we would call a time-sensitive situation, but yet he takes time to pray. He takes time to seek God. So remember this, time taken to seek God in any situation, again, even we might call it a time-sensitive situation, is never wasted time. Never be afraid to seek God. Never be afraid of His will in any given situation. But thank God He gave a quick answer, and I like it. He says, pursue. Amen. Listen, we all have natural tendencies in a situation, Again, especially in an emotionally charged situation like this one. But again, seeking God first is always best. Right? I'm sure all the, there are a lot of opinions going on there. Well, should we stone David or should we just do this? Should we do that? I'm sure everybody had an opinion. But thank God for good leadership. He said, well, no, the first thing we need to do is seek God's will in this situation. Going forward, that way... When you do go forward, right, you're going forward with the assurance of God's will and clarity as you advance forward. Better to move forward with your confidence resting in Him instead of self. 
Hey, even David, I'm sure, had an opinion. But yet he said, no, the right thing to do is to seek the will of God. And that's what they did. And thankfully, the Lord said, pursue. So when they went forward, they had the assurance that they were going in God's will. And the Lord already gave them the assurance that, hey, this is my will and you're going to recover everything. Hey, man, I mean, if you were going into a game, wouldn't you like to know that you're already going to win? Wouldn't you feel better going into a game knowing you're already going to win? Hey, yeah, go ahead and play the game. And you're going to win by 30 points. Woo, let's go, boys. Let's get out of this locker room. Amen. Let's get to the field. Boy, the Lord wants to, man, remember, God's in the revealing business. And so they went out there, they recover everything, and then let's, verses 23 and 24, as they come back, we see what happens with the spoil. And so they, they have all, all, all the spoil, and they come in here. Then, well, go ahead and uh, we'll begin at verse 21. And again, David came to the 200 men, which were so faint that they could not follow David, whom they had made also beside at the made also at the side at the brook Besor. And they went forth to meet David and to meet the people that were with him. And when David came near to the people, he saluted them. Then answered all the wicked men of Belial of those that went with David and said, Because they went not with us, we will not give them aught of the spoil that we have recovered to save to every man his wife and his children, that they may lead them away and depart. Then said David, Ye shall not do so, my brethren, with that which the Lord hath given us, who hath preserved us, and delivered the company that came against us into our hand. Well, who will hearken unto you in this matter? But as his part is that goeth down to the battle, so shall his part be that tarrieth by the stuff that shall, they shall part alike. So when you go through this story, you see a good example, right, of what we would call servanthood in David's leadership. And so you see, David had the right heart as a leader. Now, let me ask you this. When you think of servanthood, what do you think of? Who do you think of? Let me give you some thoughts on servanthood and being a servant. And David was a good example of that as he, in each one of these situations. He set the example. When you think of servanthood, Servanthood is not about position, status, or skill. In fact, Jesus made that clear when he taught that the greatest must become the least. The organization chart really should be turned upside down. The higher the leaders, the more they should serve. As a leader, they surrender their own agenda to that of their followers. This is more than a willingness to put their agenda on hold. It means intentionally choosing to learn about the people's needs, to value those needs above their own, and to take concrete action to meet them. Servanthood should never be molded by manipulation or self-promotion. Often servanthood demonstrated by a leader results in a willingness to follow by their people. I've mentioned that before when you study leadership. Matter of fact, uh, we had those uh, missionaries here and he had a couple sons and they came to my office. And so I have, you know, I always have those books on uh, leadership and stuff that I give away. And one of them grabbed the five levels of leadership. And usually when people see that, they say, oh, man, how can I move up to the top? <laughs> but they, what they learn when they read the book, right, is again, uh, uh, mention again that the lowest level of leadership is what? What level? Positional, right. Positional leadership. 
And the next level, what's the, who knows the second level of leadership? Permissional. Permissional. And what is that? Somebody gets a position and they think, well, okay, I'm in charge around here now. Oh, boy, I hope that's not what you think if you ever get a position of leadership. But what you learn is, hey, uh, usually the first six months to a year when somebody gets a position, people follow them because they have that position. But by the time that time period ends up, right, they first follow you because of your, per, uh, of your position. But the second position is getting them to follow you because of your person. Right. In other words, permissional leadership. In other words, during that that, you know, you always hear the honeymoon's over when somebody gets that leadership position. Right. The first six months to a year of learning to connect with those people, learning to love those people, let those people know that you care about them. And so though they may never say it to you in their heart, they're saying, I give you permission to lead me. I give you permission. Amen. To 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 help guide me. Amen. In this thing that we're endeavoring together, whether it be a church or a business or whatever it is, that's, 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 what you, that's what you want as a leader. People just not to give you a vote, if you will, but to give you their heart. And see, David did that. They came to him. They said, hey, let's get to David. Well, they first began to follow him, right, when they came to that cave because of his position. But because, listen, no matter what was going on, even when they were mad at him, Right. One moment they wanted to stone him, but the next moment they're following him. Why? Because, again, they saw his reaction that even though they treated him that way, he didn't respond in an emotional way back. Right. What did he do? He said, well, it looks like this. You, I hear the way you've talked to me, but I want you to hear how I talk to the Lord. And so he talked to the Lord about it. And then he saw uh, uh, um, uh, how they, he responded in the other areas. And now he sees how they respond here. Even when they're, they're talking bad about these other people, he says, nope, we're, gonna, we're a team. We're a team. It doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter who did this or who did that. We're a team and we move forward together. We rise and fall together. We're a team. Right? Again, servanthood should never be motivated by manipulation or self-promotion. Servanthood demonstrated by believer, again, results in willingness to follow by their people. But again, that should never be the goal. True servants are motivated by love and unselfishness. They serve because they want what is best for others. And that's how David was. Servants put the needs of others first. Leaders who believe they are too important to serve are essentially insecure. After all, how we treat others is often a reflection of how we think of ourselves. To be a servant, a leader should be willing to go first. Just about anyone will serve if compelled to do so. Some will serve in a crisis, but when leaders initiate service to others, they reveal their heart. True servants see the need, seize the opportunity, and serve without expecting anything in return. Becoming a servant is the right thing to do according to God's word, but it's also the practical thing to do. People don't enjoy following leaders who demand servitude. They willingly follow leaders who seek to serve them, as you see David did here. When leaders put others first, followers tend to do likewise. This creates an enjoyable and productive team environment, and everyone succeeds together. David, of course, of course is considered a great leader. Among the many reasons he is considered a great leader, we could come up with many reasons why he was considered a great leader, but among those, you would have to include his ability to think and care for the whole team and keep his servant's heart. 
though his roles and position changed, right? You saw when he was a, when he was a little shepherd boy, why they didn't even think enough to bring him in when Samuel showed up. And then you see his heart there towards those sheep. Man, boy, that bear came after my sheep, but I let him have it. That lion came after my sheep, right? He let him have it. You see his heart there to protect his flock. And then when he goes out there and he sees them speaking against his nation, his heart was what? To protect his people. And then whether, whether, it, was, whether it was a handful of sheep, whether it was the whole nation, or whether it was a bunch of vagabonds right, that were following him, he, he, his role, his heart was always for the people and to protect the people. And so you see that in David's right. It didn't matter what his role was, his position was. Again, whether the shepherd, whether the teenage boy with a slingshot, or whether a man leading a bunch of vagabonds, if you will, his heart did not change. It stayed towards God, and it stayed for the people. Though certain ones may have accomplished greater achievements than others, Right. Even in this situation, some went, some didn't go. David, again, made it a statute in Israel that the whole team benefited and enjoyed the blessings. Verse 25. And it was so from that day forward that he made it a statute and ordinance for Israel unto this day. Through all this, David showed and taught his followers the importance of having right priorities in the right place, no matter how difficult the circumstances Remember, difficult situations don't really make you what you are. They reveal what you are. And he revealed his heart for God. He revealed his heart for people. As a team, and this is what David showed them, right? They went back, the fire had burned up everything, and their people had been kidnapped. So we suffer together. We pursue together. And then when they got the spoil, we enjoy the blessings together. We're a team. And in our case, we are the church of the living God. So as we look at these simple thoughts in this portion of Scripture, remember, when everything and everyone is turned against you, turn to the Lord. Don't lash out with words towards them. Turn your words upward, not outward, toward the Lord. Always put the team ahead of personal achievements or personal desires. Have a servant's heart, no matter what role or position, the Lord may allow you to maintain. Now, as we finish up here and we have a time, ask yourself this. Is there anything, as we ask ourselves personally, is there anything in my heart? Is there anything in my attitude? Is there anything in my thinking that I need to do to make me a better servant towards others? Let's pray.